Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Here at church, building up to Easter here. This is part three of our series called Miracles. If you want, you can go grab uh, the first two messages online, or there's free CDs in the back, and we also do a podcast if you want to do that. But this is our series looking at the miracles of Jesus. There are, I don't know if you know this or not, I had to like look this up because Lord knows I've, I've never went through and counted like, but there's 34 different distinguished miracles that Jesus performs throughout the gospel. So the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They just tell the life and story and teachings of Jesus. But 34 distinct miracles that took place that Jesus was doing. And and here's why these, these miracles are so important to us right now is because I believe miracles are a microcosm of life. And I think that you can look at all of the Bible like that. So the Bible's not just teaching you about some weird guy with a weird name in a weird town way back then, thousands and thousands of years ago. It's not just about David and a rock and a Goliath and a thing, but it's actually a story about you. Because you have a Goliath in your life, that you have things in your life, that, that, that it's a microcosm, and you're trying to figure out how do you fit in the story. And we do the same thing with these miracles. And so in week one, we looked at a, a newlywed couple who unfortunately ran out of wine at the wedding feast. And it's, and it's not just about the fact that, that really you're, you ran out of wine, although that, that could have happened. And it's not about, it's, it's, what it's about is about Jesus taking something like water and common and then, then somehow turning it into something incredibly valuable. It's sometimes taking something tragic or mistaken and turning it into something incredible. A, a couple weeks ago, we looked at a different story where, where literally Jesus took a young kid's lunchbox and he multiplied it to feed thousands of people. And again, I don't know that it's just about a boy and a group of people in a lunchbox. But I think it's about what you have. And how God wants to multiply what's in your hand if you'll just trust him. And I don't know what your two fish and five loaves did. I don't know what your water to water. I don't know. But you're in the story. And I'm trying to figure out and help you figure out what does God want to do in you right now through these incredible miracles. We said this, is that miracles, this is our kind of working definition, is that miracles are God invading the natural course of things and momentarily changing the rules because he made the rules. Again, when you make the rules, you can kind of bend them a little bit when you want to. It's no different than when you're at home and you tell your kids you can't drink from the milk carton. But when it's late at night and you want a quick sip of milk, you drink from the milk carton. We don't tell our kids this. We just do it unbeknownst to them. So the point is, is when you make the rules, you get to invade and tweak and change and bend the rules. And that's what God does throughout time and history. And so, you know, in the past, we've looked at the molecular miracle of changing water to wine. We looked at the math miracle of changing seven to 5,000. Today, there's a, there's a unique miracle. It's fascinating. I'm calling it the geographical miracle. It's, it's about geography. It's about a map. It's about some people in a place and a time and some distance And here's how the story goes. If you have your Bible, John chapter 4, and you can always read along on the screen. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46, it says that once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee. Now that's where the last miracle happened, the water to wine thing. He's back in Cana in Galilee. And, and, And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus was somewhere in Galilee from Judea, he went to Jesus, found him, and begged him, please come and heal my son, he's close to death. And Jesus' response doesn't sound immediately compassionate. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, 
please come down before my child dies. And Jesus replies, go. Your son will live. I want you to think about that. He just says, go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and left. And while he was on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was still living. And when the guy inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said, well, it was yesterday. At one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left. It was crazy. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now again, this is a story about them and back there and how it unfolded to them, but there are lessons that, that are in there for us to learn and to observe. And what you find is that there's, a, there's kind of a lesson that, let me put it like this, how many of you want a miracle in your life? Yeah, okay, put your hand down. You may not necessarily want to raise your hand right now because the first lesson really is from the boy. The, what we learn from the boy and what we learn from the lesson is this, is to need a miracle. You've got to have a legitimate need. Now, now don't get it twisted like the couple with the, ran out of wine. I don't know that that was a need, right? Some people. But <laughs> water to wine, it wasn't a, nobody was going to die, Right? It wasn't a need, it was a want. Now, some of you want a miracle, but that's not the same as needing it. I asked you how many of you, you know, really wanted a miracle because you need a miracle, and nobody really wants to be in the position to need a miracle. So as much as we want to, we never want to be at that place where we're like desperate like this guy is because really that's what this kid was going through. This kid had a fever. This kid was ill. This kid was so sick that everybody was like, that kid's going to die. It was to the point that the father... I want you to think about this. Now, usually we don't abandon our children when they're sick, right? I don't know. Again, going back to that whole first kid thing, I remember when my first child was born. It was my son, Peyton, and, and my wife had this fear that they would somehow swap the baby somehow. By the way, that's impossible. My kid is translucent when he was a child. He's so white. White, translucent skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, and we had this kid born in San Jose. There's no mix-up, babe. We're fine. I promise, okay? <laughs> but, but she was like, you don't let that kid out of your sight. And you know, like, they got to come in and take the kid to go do some things and procedures and whatever. And she's like, you don't, you don't, you don't, no. Would not let me leave that kid and something, because there's something powerful, like the connection, the bond between a parent and a child. And, and it was so severe, this kid's illness was so severe, that the dad was like, it's so bad, I've got to leave. It's, it's better for me to leave my son to go find some type of divine intervention. I'm willing to leave him, even if that means him dying while me being away, if that means I can potentially somehow grab a miracle. Now again... To need a miracle, you got to have a legitimate need. And it's tough when it's somehow like this emotionally loaded thing. It's not about praying that we get wine at the wedding. This is about my child living. That's some emotional weightiness, isn't it? Like that's a loaded prayer. That's a death. You pray differently for wine than you do for your child. It's just, it's just different. As a matter of fact, I read a story, interestingly enough, it's about a pastor um, in Detroit. And his story is... And this is back in August of 2009. There was an armed robbery in his home. And the person that came in armed and robbing 
ended up getting into a fight with him and stabbed the pastor 37 times. He ended up getting to the hospital. He had like four feet worth of scars. The doctors told him that you had six different cuts that had they been one millimeter to the left or right from where you were at, you'd be dead or paralyzed. Now, the the crazier part was is that the police showed up, and as they did all that they could, they said, Sir, how did you... Because what he did was is he, he got from his home to his neighbor's house, and his neighbor called the ambulance and the police. And they said, Sir, when we went into your home, there was blood everywhere, on the floor, on the walls... And at your neighbor's house, there's blood. But between your house and your neighbor's house, there's no blood. How did you get from there to... He goes, I don't know. I just showed up there. And you're like, ooh. (laughs) Now, I don't know what miracle's cooler. That you somehow get from point A to point B and there's no blood trail. I don't know if it's the six millimeters or the... I I I don't know... But think about the loadedness of the question. In one way, you're thankful because miraculously you're still alive or not, not, not completely paralyzed for the rest of your life. But on the other sense, you've got to be asking the question, why did this even happen to begin with? God, how could you let this happen? I thought and you were in control and why did and how could you let? And I don't understand. Because to need a miracle, you've got to have a legitimate need. But nobody really wants to put themselves into the place of a legitimate need because it's too hard. It's too much weightiness to it. It's too much to have your kid be sick. But this is what happens in this story is that really it's, it's about a guy recognizing he has a legitimate need and he needs a legitimate answer. Check this out. The lesson from the official, remember this is the dad. Maybe I should have said the dad said it was a royal official. The lesson from the royal official is this, is that divine appointment is the catalyst of certain miracles. See, he had a legitimate need, but he needed to find somebody that had a legitimate answer to his need. And so what he heard was, I want you to pick this up. When he said he heard that Jesus was in Galilee, I need you to get your mind wrapped around something. Galilee is a region. It's not a town. It's not like Hey, I'll meet you at Starbucks. Which one? And you figure out, this is a region. And he finds out that Jesus is going to be in a region. And so he leaves his hometown to go to a region just trying to find Jesus. Because here's what we learn through life. Is that God has a unique way of connecting you to the right people at the right time and in the right place when you're really living in his will. I don't know about you. I want to find myself in the right place at the right time and and with the right people. And so I guess here's my point is that you need to live in such a way that your life is constantly intersecting with Jesus. Like, Like think about that. What am I doing to constantly put myself in a position where when I have legitimate need, I am always close to a legitimate answer in Jesus. And so your life has to intersect with Jesus. Does that make sense? And, and I started thinking, like, how do you even do that? And I thought, this is, this is what it looks like. And I want to show you this, is that to intersect with Jesus, check your places. Because there's certain places where Jesus is, right? Now, we know God's in all places at all times, but there's no doubt God is in unique places in unique ways. I need to be in them places. What are your environments like? What's your home environment like? Where do you travel to? Where do you go? Where do you spend your time? Because I want you to check your place and say, do I live in places? That intersect with Jesus. Number two is this. Don't only check your, check your people. 
Man, I'm telling you, it's huge. You want to be around faith people, miracle people, hopeful people, believing people, Jesus people? Check your people. Because, again, I want to live a life where I'm constantly intersecting with Jesus. The only way to do that is to be surrounded by people who are also intersecting with Jesus. And then lastly, check your practices. And here's what I mean by that. There are certain things that the Bible teaches us to do. Everybody say to do. That help us create an environment. That help us get intersecting with Jesus. Like why do you think the Bible teaches you to pray? Like the disciples, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, they just wrote some question like, Jesus, we see you pray. It seems to work. How do you pray? Great question, right? And he goes, first, before I even teach you how to pray, go find a place. Close the door. Cut your life off from distractions. Put away Insta and Face and, and Picto. And, but get, for a moment, unplug and get away and get into an environment where you can intersect with me. That, that's, that's a practice. That's a spiritual discipline of saying, hey, when I open up these holy words and I give myself time to reflect and meditate and absorb these words, I'm intersecting with divine wisdom. I'm intersecting with the ability for God to speak to me. And so if you want to live a life where you're intersecting with Jesus, check these things because there's definitely something to you being in the right place at the right time and connecting because here's the deal. Have you ever, y'all ever played like Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Remember, remember that? That guy's been in movies with like everybody in the world. But it was built on an original study that was called the seven degrees of separation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like where you can connect yourself to somebody else within a certain number of steps. It was originally a guy named Stanley Milgram in the 60s who did this. It was called the small world phenomenon. And what he did was is he took people. I don't know if you've heard this or not. It's, it's a, just, this is where the genesis of all that stuff comes from. He took seven people in Omaha, Nebraska. They're like, let me go out to some cornfields and find some people that don't know nobody. And he said, I'm going to give you guys the name of a mortgage broker in Boston. And I want you to send a letter to somebody that you think might know or get you closer to getting connected to this guy. And the reason it was called Seven Degrees of Separation is because he found that everybody was able to connect to the guy, even though they didn't know him and had no relationship whatsoever with him. They were able to get to this stockbroker in Boston, every one of them, in less than seven tries. It's because you're connected to other people, right? I want you to think about it like this. God knows everybody, right? And when you know God, the seven degrees is not shrunk just because of Facebook now. The seven degrees is shrunk by God having the ability to connect you to the right people, to the right places, to the right environments so that you can actually get the need met. Are you hearing me this morning? But you've got to live a life where you're intersecting with Jesus because only he can get you where you truly need to be in life. That's good preaching. Somebody say amen. That's, that's good stuff. Um, the, the second, I'll amen myself if you, yeah. Um, the, the second lesson from the official is this. This is fascinating. I want you to think about this. Is that miracles are opposed to earning, but they are not opposed to effort. Now, the reason why I pick up on this lesson is because it says something interesting that unless you pull out a map, and you can go to the back of your, your Bible if you, if you got your Bible with you today. And if your digital Bible, you don't got this, but you can Google it. If you Google Capernaum or Cana and try to look at it on a map, what you find is this. This guy's a royal official. He's probably well off. He's got a lake house on the Sea of Galilee that sits right there at the north part of Galilee is Capernaum. And he's chilling at his lake house. 
But when he hears that Jesus is in Galilee, he's got to travel and he ends up finding him in a small little dumpy town called Cana that is 20 miles away. So if you ask the question, well, Todd, can I buy a miracle? Can I do something? Can I somehow earn a miracle? The answer is no. You cannot buy off God. It's too expensive. You, you, can't do, you can't buy off God. God's not motivated and moved that way. You cannot earn. You can't say, oh, well, I was really, really good this week, so God blessed me and helped me. And I was really, really bad this week, and so God punished me. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Don't simplify this down too, too far that way. But what I will say is that when you read the Bible and you begin to look at the great miracles of the Bible, there's always effort on someone's side, like somebody's doing something. This guy, in this instance, travels 20 miles from his lake house to a dumpy town called Cana. And again, based on the geography and the elevation changes, this guy burned off 8,000 calories trying to get to Jesus. He was sweating on the way there. If you ever been, it's hot. I don't know what time of year it was, but it's 20 miles, and this guy had some effort. Now, what I want to get you to see is this, is you are going to need to do something natural on your end if you believe God will do something supernatural on his end. And all throughout the Bible, you can see, like, you want to walk on water? you got to step out the boat. Well, you got to get in a boat. you got to go out to the middle of nowhere. you got to wait till there's a storm, and then you got to get out of the boat. That alone is freaky enough. Like, you got to go fill up six water pots. 30, you know how much that weighs? 30 gallons? In a water pot? That was heavy. And those good dudes had to go carry that thing. You gotta go carry heavy things sometimes. And you see this throughout. You gotta give up your lunchbox. You've got to cast your net to the other side. You've got to stretch out your hand. You've got there's this fascinating story where Jesus runs into these ten lepers. And these guys come to Jesus and they beg Jesus to heal them. And I want you to get your mind wrapped around this. He doesn't heal them right then and there on the spot. What he says is, he goes, go your way, leave and go show yourself to the priest. And then the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. It didn't happen in the moment. It happened in the action. It happened in the obedience. It happened in the effort. It happened in the sweat. And so there's something on your end that you're going to need to do. Not only do I want to intersect with Jesus, but I want to do everything that I can do and then trust God to do what only he will do. It's just, again, just these interesting things that are going on in the story. Now, the last thing is probably the most important thing, and it's the lesson from Jesus. And the lesson from Jesus is simply this. There is no distance. God cannot travel to meet a need. There is no distance. I know you pray for people in other countries, in other states, in other cities. You, 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 you want, you believe, but I want you to know this, that God is not bound to space and time the way that we are. That God is somehow outside of that. Um, quantum physicists, they study um, subatomic particles. This is nerdy. Um, what they've determined is, is that when you have a subatomic reaction and particles move, that no matter how far apart they are, they influence and affect and immediately change one another. It's what Einstein called um, spooky stuff that happens at a distance. You can Google that, by the way. Spooky action, Google that. Spooky action at a distance. I'm not making this up. He literally said that there's something that can happen over here, and it literally can break the, somehow the speed of light to affect and change something over here. That's what we believe on a scientific level. I just want you to know, I've been believing that since I learned what prayer was. That, doesn't that describe prayer? That I can say something and do something here. 
And without, because they asked the guy, what time did the boy's fever break? He said it was at the exact, everybody say exact. It was at the exact time that Jesus said what he said. And so I don't know about you, but for, for, you ever been out shooting before and you're seeing people shoot from a distance and you see the shot, but then you hear the shot after? It's because the speed of light travels faster than the speed of sound, right? We, we can see that. It's really cool sometimes. You see it's fireworks or guns or whatever it is. We can see it and then we hear it afterwards because they move at different It's crazy to get your head wrapped around. For Jesus to speak something, for sound to have traveled 20 miles is one thing, but for it to have traveled instantaneously, I just want you to know that you are never outside of God's reach, that there is no miracle that is beyond him. There's nothing that is too hard for God. There's no distance he can't travel. There's no time he can't compress. He is beyond that. Or... What Matthew, in the book of Matthew, what Jesus said with this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's impossible. Because it matters, doesn't it? To, like, to, to, to get from point A to point B in a certain time, it matters. As a matter of fact, if, um, if you know the story, there was a, a man named Samuel Morse. Uh, we, we get Morse code from him. And Samuel Morse has a very kind of similar story to the sense of like he was in one location. And what he was doing is he had gone to Washington to paint this kind of famous painting called the House of Representatives and whatever. But in the middle of painting this famous thing, he gets word that his wife is ill. So before he can leave and get back to his wife, by the time he gets back home, she's already died. And he was so bummed and so mad because what had happened was when she was sick, it took so much time for them to get through the via the Pony Express to get word to him, and then so much time for him to get back to her. He was so mad and angry, he made it his life's mission to figure out how to get long-distance, instant communication. So he's the guy that invented the telegraph. And this guy spent his whole life saying, and he figured out how, and this is, what's crazy is this, is that the first thing that was ever communicated, they ran a line from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, and the very first thing communicated was a Bible verse. Numbers chapter 23 Verse 23, just four words, what hath God wrought? Because they just realized, hey, we just figured out how to break the barrier of time and space and communication. We figured out how to do that. I want you to know that your heavenly father has always been in control of those. It took us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to figure it out. It has always been inside of God's ability to shrink the time. Because there's no need that he can't meet. There's no distance he can't close. There's no time he can't compress. I just wanted you to know your life is literally in his hands. This is the story. What I want to ask you today, though, is really simple. And I'd like everybody to do this. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're in here today and you say, man, I could use some prayer, Todd. I could use some help. I could use some divine intervention. It might just be that by being here on a Sunday morning and maybe you thought you were coming because you needed to, to watch somebody's kid get dedicated away, but like maybe you just showed up and you hadn't been here in weeks. I don't know why you're here, but it could just be that God has allowed you to intersect with him in this place, in this moment. See, the thing about miracles is this. You might as well ask. Because if you don't ask, you get nothing. If you do ask, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. We don't know when and how and why. And God chooses that on his own sovereign wisdom. But it never hurts to ask. 
And so if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I could use some help today. Could you just slip your hand up in the air? Todd, I could use some prayer today. I could use a miracle today. I could use some divine help and strength and intervention. Yeah, there are more hands up than what we typically think. And so here's what I'd like you to do. Just leave your hand up in the air. Father, I I pray for these people with their hands raised. God, I don't know what their situation is and what they're going through, but you know. You know every detail, even more what they know and understand. You know it all, God. And their life is in your hands. And God, I pray that maybe, just maybe, you would somehow invade their space and their time. That you would close the gap and do something incredible. That you would somehow bend the rules, maybe even break them if necessary. That God, you would change and rearrange and fix and do what it is that you do. Do the things that are so beyond our comprehension. But God, would you please... There are hands represented here. If you you got your hand raised, I want you to take a moment and pray. Father, we need your help. If you would, look up here at the screen. And I put a prayer up here that you may want to just... Well, most people take pictures now of stuff. So, but this, this might be your prayer. It would something like this. God, please order my steps and arrange my appointments. God, help me to take the step that starts the miracle. God, I thank you that there is no time or space that you do not control. My life is in your hands. Together, all together, let's pray one more time. God, we thank you today that your word is true. God, there's something that 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 royal official did. It was so profound. It it jumped out at me. I didn't get time to talk about it today. But when Jesus said, go, your son will be healed, the, the Bible says that he left and he took Jesus at his word. I want you to think about that, that he just left. I would have probably kidnapped Jesus. I might have begged him some more. I might have even got mad. I don't know what I would have done. This man did something incredible. He just left and he, the Bible says he took Jesus at his word. I want you to live a life where you take Jesus at his word, where you just trust him, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you didn't get the answer that you thought was the best answer, that you just trust him and take him at his word. I want you to know that your heavenly father dearly loves you, that he has infinite wisdom, that he does know best even when we don't understand. And so God, help us to live a life constantly trusting in you and taking you at your word, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap today if you would. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.